No, and I kid you not, I saw this uh, the other day, and I was amazed by it and fascinated. And if I had a fireplace, I would try these. But I saw a log, a duro log, you know, those like fake logs that you put, but they burn. But there was a KFC duro log that smelled like fried chicken. That's disgusting. Yeah. What? I don't know, man. I, wait, part wait, wait, of me wait, wait. wants to try that. And why did you not take a sh- send us a photo of? I know I should have. I, I should have. I'm ca- I'm cat sitting for somebody, and they had it in their apartment. So I will. You know what? Next time I'm over to feed the cat tomorrow. You they had the KFC. Take I'll, I'll take a place? picture. A what? I need a photo. I had to do KFC a double. Lot. I had to do a double take because I was like, is that <laughs> did real? It have, like, was it like the KFC logo and everything? Yeah. Oh my it had, god! They, it had a picture of the colonel on it. They are they are licensed such, merchandise. I, what whores! What marketing whores! <laughs> I wouldn't have ever thought of that. Brilliant marketing team decision right oh there. I'm surprised god. they don't have potpourri or. Uh, we can have a Ryan Flurry log. Ugh. It would have to smell like Pizza Hut. Though. It would smell like oh, Pizza Hut. Oh, yeah. Recording in progress. And welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, hey, this is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot. Joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello again. Uh, and once again, joining us. Miss Liz Malone, LLC. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> also known as Miss Part-Time. <laughs> no, you know, you know what? I did ask you this, Liz, uh, before the show, but uh, how, so is it a lot of paperwork to become an LLC? What's the deal with an LLC? What's, how does that work? I think it's much better to pay somebody else to do the paperwork for you. Oh, fancy. Yeah. I, you know what? I look at it as I'm just stimulating the economy. <laughs> I'm, gotcha. hoping, I'm keeping somebody else, you know, occupied with, with work. So that's, hey, that's true. You're a contributing member of society. Yes. Good job. <laughs> uh, how are you people today? Good-ish. Fabulous. Yeah, no. How are no, you? I'm good. Oh, geez, we're, we're boring. Uh, I know. We do this every week. I don't I know. know. You guys got to start making up something. Got to start making up rants or something. I always make have a rant on deck. So. <laughs> I mean, I quite, en- I quite enjoyed the week. It was an interesting week when Ryan had a dead rat in his basement wall and we could talk about that. But uh, we haven't really had a crisis uh, since then. So we might have to work on that. I have a mini crisis I could share real quick. Okay, do it. Yeah. So. I recently learned that I have a dairy allergy. Oh no, really? Yeah. Not just oh, like that's... lactose intolerant where, I mean, I could pop a lactate and everything's good in the world. I'm talking allergy, no dairy product or byproduct. And apparently everything has whey. So e. yeah, yeah. That's my, a bad one. So yeah, so I kind of had like a, uh, a giveaway of a lot of stuff in my cupboard. <laughs> 
Oh no! Like, <laughs> was it? Did it just recently develop, or do you think you already you always had it? And I think I had it. And it's just kind of gotten worse, and it's it sort of reached critical mass. Where I, you know, I went to the doctor, and I I thought it was celiac. I thought it was gluten, and they're like, no. But it's they're like, oh, we we can understand why you thought it was gluten because there are so many gluten products that have whey. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, yeah, so. Man, well, I would have opened with that. That sucks. <laughs> That's why I said I'm good-ish, you know, trying to be positive. There's yeah, lots of alternatives. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I mean, they, you make almond milk and, I don't know, there's all kinds of other types Coconut of milk. Milk, milk, squirrel milk, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but but let's just, let's just be really honest. I have yet to have a vegan baked good that's actually good like i've had vegan donuts they're awful i've had vegan cookies i want to just throw them across yeah. the room vegan i've tried vegan oh brownies gosh. i've tried uh, vegan banana cake i just yeah i mean i just wanted to just hurl so maybe i mean maybe i'm gonna be really skinny after this i don't know uh, yeah i don't know so i bet i mean the the real kicker is that that's cheese is involved like you're gonna lose cheese which is yeah, and i love major. cheese yeah i know who doesn't no love cheese no pizza hut for me ryan oh, so yeah, you're gonna you have to you're gonna have, it's all yours now imagine pizza with no cheese <laughs> that's just not pizza yikes oh my gosh well okay well listen we'll uh yeah we'll discuss this more later we'll do some research because uh, that's that's a that's actually some big news we might have to have entire episode uh, yeah we might have to have somebody on the show that can talk about food allergies and stuff yeah and we can just we can list all the food that you're gonna not be able to have anymore so i think that would be a fun show thank god i could still have booze so Alrighty, (laughs) there you go uh all right enough of that uh ryan we should get to business uh so could you tell everybody uh just what the heck we are doing today i will do my best so today, our guest is Elham Yusifian, who is from the International Disability Alliance organization, and here to tell us everything about who they are and what they do. So Elham, welcome. Hello, everyone. Uh, it was hard for me to uh, remain silent and don't say anything, because I had tons of comments about what you guys were saying about cheese and food. <laughs> Go ahead. But I'm going to talk, talk about my organization. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring you back to talk about cheese and dairy. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Well, no, well, listen, we'll, we, and we're happy. We'll circle back to it, because, uh, yeah, this, like I said, this is big news. Breaking we're, news. We're all, we're, all, we're all pretty shook over this (laughs) breaking news on at banter yeah but i really feel for you liz because my uh, fiance is also he he is uh, lactose intolerant Hmm. and one of the main uh, uh, elements that i needed to consider before deciding to say yes uh, was that well there would be some limitations in eating pizza and cheesecake (laughs) and stuff like that you'll have to do it you'll have to just you know do it he was a very good man, so I he had to say be. yes. Yeah. You, you chose him over cheese. So. Wow, that's, that's, that's true love. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually true. That might actually, I'd have to really think about that. Actually, does he know that? Should we have him on the show? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you did beat out provolone. <laughs> yeah. Man, those fighting words. 
Uh, okay, dear. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, all right. Well, let's, uh, like I said, we'll, we'll circle back to that. But for now, um, why don't we start out with uh, maybe just telling us a little bit about uh, the IDA, which is the International uh, Disability Alliance, uh, what you guys do there and, and what your position uh, is there. So maybe I should start by telling the story of um, grassroots organizations of persons with disabilities. I'm sure you have had many people coming from those kind of organizations in your show, or you'll have more of them coming. So persons with disabilities, of course, come together and establish organizations of persons with disabilities. Um, as you know, people make an acronym for it, OPD, Organization of Persons with Disabilities. Or those who are in the UK and prefer to talk about disabled people, they say DPOs. But anyway, these OPDs and DPOs uh, who work, for example, at local levels have come together and share um, and formed national organizations of persons with disabilities or national umbrella organizations like national unions or national associations or whatever all over the world. Um, and then those national organizations in, uh, have just shaped, uh, shaped the regional organizations and then those regional or global organizations like we have, for example, World Federation for the Deaf. So all um, European Deaf Union, uh, African Deaf Union, for example, Asian Deaf Union, have come together and shape World Federation for the Deaf or World Blind Union the same way. And then we also have regional organizations. All of these uh, big organizations, network organizations of persons with disabilities decided that they can do better if they work as an alliance and then they form the International Disability Alliance. That's where I work. So basically uh, our organization organization has uh, 14 main uh, board members, eight global and six regional organizations of persons with disabilities. Um, and, you know, we calculated we have over 1100 organizations of persons with disabilities um, shaping us and we are representing them. So we are a representation network of organizations of persons with disabilities. Yeah, it's it's you know it's it's really interesting um, because we often have organizations of, of varying different sizes and and who work on on various different uh, levels, and there are there just there are so many um, spread yeah. out. Um, so was was that sort of the the mandate um, when when the organization was created was really sort of being able to to bring all of those organizations in under one umbrella to, to make it more efficient um, in, in order to advocate? Well, of course, we cannot bring everybody under one umbrella. But the time that my organization was shaped uh, was the time that there were negotiations going on for the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. So this conversation started uh, in late last century, early uh, 2000s. And that's why they, uh, these organizations of like regional and global organizations decided to form the Alliance so that they can like do joint advocacy. So the, uh, my organization, the International Disability Alliance was basically first established to, as a union 
that organizations of persons with disabilities can get together and uh, unify their opinion and do joint stronger advocacy towards the uh, United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, which uh, was adopted in 2006 and came into force in 2008. So, and that's where we are. Of course, after that, my organization continued uh, its mandate by like monitoring and advocating for the implementation of the convention. Right now, we are doing advocacy, we are doing capacity building units, we are supporting participation of persons with disabilities in, in different international platforms, regional platforms, and many other things. So is, is the work that, that the organization does, um, is, it, is it fairly high level? Um, do, I mean, do you, do you work with the UN in sort of the creation of really high level uh, advocacy that is going to apply to countries all around the world or yes. do you do you focus in or do you ever focus in though on specific countries and specific issues well uh we do international advocacy but sometimes doing international advocacy requires uh working on specific countries so we we do have a, our main office in geneva and also we have an office in new york and we do geneva new york advocacy for example we work with um uh, UN Security Council, we work with the General Assembly, UN General Assembly, we work with the Geneva-based um, um, organizations, for example, World Health Organization. One example is that, for example, when, when pandemic and COVID-19 pandemic hit, we started working with the World Health Organization to make sure that what they are issuing as briefings or guidance is inclusive of persons with disabilities, includes our requirements and our rights. Um, but sometimes this international global level advocacy, of course, requires um, attention or advocacy for national situations. So one example, for example, is the Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. So uh, I talked about the uh, UN Convention earlier, and that convention has a monitoring body uh, which goes through the reports that those governments who have ratified the UN Convention submit and say, okay, yeah, we have implemented the convention. But the committee looks at the, uh, at the reports and also asks uh, the civil society, the organizations of persons with disabilities in that country, and also others who are like doing advocacy to submit the information they have. And that's how, for example, my organization supports um, organizations of persons with disabilities from that specific country to come to Geneva, to prepare their submissions for that committee, to make sure that the um, final conclusion about how the convention has been implemented by that particular government is close to reality and includes views of people with disabilities who live on that particular country. What I was wondering is, can you kind of generally speak to what the convention is or contains? Yeah, the convention uh, basically talks about human rights of persons with disabilities. 
Uh, they say that the convention does not create new rights and just uh, recognize and elaborate rights of persons with disabilities um, as human beings. So it does include main principles. For example, one pillar of the convention is accessibility that most people with disabilities, most of your audience may be aware of. Uh, so for example, we talk about how public goods and services and any goods and, and facilities um, that are meant for public use must be accessible for persons with disabilities. That's one of the main articles of the UN convention. And then the convention talks about how different human rights, for example, right to life, right to health, right to be free from torture, right to access to education, um, and for example, access to employment and different human rights uh, are uh, inclusive of persons with disabilities. What governments must do to make sure that, for example, persons with disabilities are autonomous decision-making um, people can decide for their lives. Um, for example, one particular important article is right to independent living and living in the community, which is about how persons with disabilities should not live in, in, in institutions right. and how by providing community-based services and making sure that they have access to the services they require in the society and in the family situations or semi-family situations, they can live in the society. They don't they should not be institutionalized. That's, for example, another um, element of the convention. It's a long story. I cannot summarize yeah, it in yeah. here. Yeah. So I guess I guess my question is is more about sort of enforcement, um, because it's it, it, there must there's so many levels that that something like the convention has to sort of trickle down through in order to make those changes on the ground. So last week, for example, we, we talked to um, a, an O&M instructor in, in Charlotte, um, and he was describing this neighborhood that has horrible, horrible sidewalks. Sidewalks just end. Um, there, there are storefronts and stuff that are essentially inaccessible. And that's just because the way that the city has structured the building of sidewalks, they've left it to the, the shop owners to be responsible for their section of sidewalk, which is, you know, resulted in this horrible patchwork accessibility nightmare for somebody that, that wants to try to walk through this neighborhood. Um, so I guess my question is, how do we get from, you know, having these very high level, um, you know, human rights, how do we get the changes made on the ground in any given city in any given country? Well, uh, it's a long um, way full of different steps. Of course, first of all, we need strong uh, laws. So um, countries need to adopt the convention into their national uh, mandatory legal system that is supported by a strong independent judiciary system. Um, so, for example, like uh, there should be a, a law that's enforceable in the country that includes all these rights, like with all the details. Like, for example, oh, I was just talking about this: uh, any facility that is 
meant for public use must be accessible for persons with disabilities. That includes this and this and this and it. And if any private business does not do that, then they would be uh, forced to fix it and they would be forced to um, pay the remedy. So we have the American with Disabilities Act in this case. Of course, uh, the United States has not ratified, ratified the convention. Uh, I don't want to go through the story because I don't have very detailed, um, very detailed uh, story of why the United States have not um, adopted the convention. Basically, U.S. is quite, quite conservative when it comes to um, adopting uh, international conventions, but. Um, the Americans with Disabilities Act is quite strong and uh, does include um, obligations on making the public um, sphere accessible. Um, so that's one part, the law. And then the judiciary system, the possibility of bringing cases and suing those who are violating this law. But most importantly, we need strong civil society. We need to support the organizations of persons with disabilities so they need to have the funding, the information, the human resources, the possibility, the knowledge that how to sue and uh, where to do that to force those who are violating these, uh, these laws to, to implement them. And of course, there's another layer, the public awareness. Many people don't still understand uh, the basics about persons with disabilities. Like, I can't tell you how many times I live in New York, and this sounds to be like a quite um, diversity. So people are exposed to many different things. Like it's a very big community, right? But still, I can't tell you how many times I've stepped to a business or faced a public servant or any anything like that, and try to interact with people, and uh, ended up like that the people don't talk to me and talk to the person accompanying me because they feel that, because I'm a blind person, by the way, and they feel that like a blind person cannot hear or cannot communicate or they, they don't know how to communicate with that person. So they talk to anybody who is accompanying me and I have to say, please talk to me. Why don't you just address me? So what I'm trying to say is that we need the public awareness raising and we need to educate the public so when they are putting their motorbike in the street and in the, the sidewalk, they should think, oh, maybe a person with a disability with wheelchair wants to pass here. Or maybe a blind person wants to pass and they will bump into it and they hurt themselves. But for that, for that we do need um, media, social media to work and uh, educate the public. We need the schools to educate the children about uh, diversity. And um, I think, inclusive education where children with different abilities can educate together, sit next to each other is plays a very important role. Because if you have had a classmate with who uses a wheelchair, I don't say you didn't have it, I just say a particular um, person. And that person becomes a, a decision maker, business manager, they would consider um, how a person with disabilities would be able to benefit from that particular business. So many layers. Is there a list of countries that have adopted the convention on your website? Because it almost sounds like it may be the 
developing countries that are adopting it, whereas, you know, if U.S. hasn't, I'm assuming Canada probably hasn't either? They have. Canada has. 190-something or 80 or 90-something. You can just, uh, I don't have the exact number, but all European countries have, um, Canada has. um, Interesting. Yeah, and then European Union as a... uh, organization also has adopted the convention. There are some uh, reasons beyond not to ratifying the convention in the U.S. that goes back to the legal system of, sure. uh, uh, like, it's a constitutional law conversation yes. that they had. There has been, there has been effort, there has been effort. I would suggest you talk to some people like Judith Human, for example, may be able to give you the story of what, what happened, why they didn't right. ratify the convention. I was, I'm an immigrant. I entered this country like six, seven years ago. So I was not, uh, I'm not the right person to tell you the story, but I sure. can tell you that almost, I think maybe like 10 to 15 countries in the world have not yet ratified the convention. Well, and the reason I asked the question is because it's only in recent years that here in Canada, our provinces, some of them have started talking about um, provincial accessible acts for persons with disabilities. And, you know, if they've adopted the convention, then this should have probably been happening years ago, not in the last five years. Well, yeah, that's an interesting point you're making about because I think it's the federal government. The federal government goes to the monitoring bodies and says, well, I don't have that much power over different states and they're mm-hmm. doing things on their, their own pace. That's what I'm doing at federal level, but I can't be responsible for uh, acts and right. omissions of the state. Interesting. Yeah, and I, and I feel like that's sort of the frustrating thing about all of this is that, you know, everything has to move through so many layers of bureaucracy um, that things can can get tripped up. And it's it's kind of no wonder, too, that the, the general public doesn't really understand or, or even know what's going on. Um, so I, I, and I think that your, you know, your point is, is spot on. Um, I think that education is um, really key. And probably the other E is enforcement. You know, unfortunately, um, you know, we need a big stick um, in order to to make some of these changes happen because it's just an, it's just a, a fact of life that um, everybody doesn't necessarily do everything for the right reasons. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Keep telling you, we need a disability uprising. We're the largest minority group in the world, and yet we're all sitting on our asses doing squat. Well, not all of us. There's definitely some proactive people out there, but yeah, you know, we need a movement. I'm going to just jump in for a quick second. Sure. Um, I just want to get an idea of how does your organization prioritize some of your efforts when you have so many, so many countries that you're, you're, you're working with and so many different uh, levels of, progress in terms of accessibility and disability rights and everything underneath that umbrella. So how, how are you able, how as an organization, are you able to sort of uh, figure out where your resources are best spent? 
So as I said, we are mostly working at global level. So for example, on the example that I provided on doing support for organizations of persons with disabilities to communicate with the committee um, about what, uh, what is happening at national level, that committee has a schedule. So each year there are like a few countries that are uh, present before the committee. So we they do have like some uh, limitations about that. And then of course, um, we do have a board that uh, approves our strategy. We have like a, a strategy um, that is being approved by our members and what they want us to focus on and which um, topics for example, the, that we are focusing on. And of course, another important element to determine which would be the priority is the projects. Well, unfortunately, we need to follow money. So when the donors come to us and say, I want to support access to education for children with disabilities in, in, in this particular region, we need to focus on our work on that part. Um, so that's another element. And of course, we do have regular communications, consultations with persons with disabilities all over the world to hear from them. So for example, one interesting um, um, event that we had was the Global Disability Summit. The Global Disability Summit uh, happened for the first time in 2018, um, um, hosted by the governments of UK and the United Kingdom and uh, Kenya and then they and and then again this year 2022 the second global disability summit was hosted by Kana and uh, and uh, Norway and of course uh, both global disability summits were co-hosted by my organization the international disability alliance so we um bring together all the stakeholders like governments UN agencies and ask them to provide commitments on what they are planning to do to advance disability rights. There are shared commitments, and then there would be platforms for them to hear from persons with disabilities directly um, about what they are uh, uh, asking, what they feel the gaps are, and how they want to proceed. So I want to I want to talk a little bit um, about. So, uh, something that, that I really feel is, is really important work that the organization does, and that's in the realm of crisis management. Because, you know, when, when we have global crises, like we just did with, with COVID, um, I, I really do feel like the, the disability community generally falls by the wayside, just, just you know, by the nature of people scramble and, and come up with solutions. And generally the, the disability community is, is sort of left behind. They, they sort of are an afterthought almost sometimes. Um, so I wanna, I wanna talk a little about, a bit about the work that you guys do in, in, in that space. And maybe, maybe just set up like what, what kind of things do you do and what did COVID kind of teach us well, you're right. Um, when crisis hits, everybody is running, and when everybody running, uh, they leave persons with disabilities and other marginalized groups behind. So um, this is a pretty new area for us. We are still advocating, but with the human rights or humanitarian organizations with emergency response. Um, 
leaders at global level that uh, what they should do for for example when COVID hit like we had persons with disabilities contacting us telling us about triage protocols which meant that basically when there were scarce resources the some of the medical teams decided in some cases based on protocols that was communicated with them in some cases just based on their own discretion that uh, oh we're gonna dedicate this limited uh, ventilator system to a uh, this man without disability uh, because this man with disability or this woman with disability well suffers anyway this is very extreme example but which unfortunately has happened quite a bit but we do have other examples like for example <laughs> we had list uh, list of essential services that could operate in the uh, court full time right and when you look at this list of essential services we would see that many times um they were not including services required by persons with disabilities for example interpretation and they didn't think about okay how a deaf person can access healthcare if there is no interpretation uh, sign language interpretation available for them right or how they would be able to, it's like there was no uh, fixing wheelchair somebody was contacting me and telling me well they didn't include uh, wheelchair fixing services in the list of essential services now my wheelchair is broken I, I cannot fix it so I cannot go anywhere um, that's because of lack of consultation because when they set up a table of the emergency response team or headquarters or whatever in a national global local regional level they do not invite persons with disabilities to have a seat because if they had and they for example invited me to that table and said okay this is the list what is your opinions that person with disability would be raising their opinion and say oh uh, you're you're leaving services required by persons with disabilities out so what we did was to, of course, first of all, document these stories. So we, we have a page that we have stories or voices of persons with disabilities um, of, during COVID-19 where they say, they tell their stories from all over the world. We share document uh, through surveys, uh, what happened to persons with disabilities, and then we published reports uh, summarizing those service findings and share them with the decision makers, with governments, World Health Organization, and other uh, important stakeholders to inform them about what happens to persons with disabilities. Um, when the global COVID-19 pandemic was announced, we managed to publish a first set of recommendations on how to improve persons with disabilities in COVID-19 response, uh, like a few days after the announcement. We did as much as we could, but of course there is much to be done. And um, if you, uh, if I want to summarize the lessons learned, the first one was of course, give persons with disabilities seats around the crisis management tables, decision-making authorities, and hear from them before making any plans or policies. Um, when you are monitoring um, the implementation, include disability inclusion indicators. Employ persons with disabilities as, as 
at those levels and those bodies um, document what's happening to persons with disabilities. And again, I want to conclude by education. Just, you need to educate the medical team. Like, I don't know how many of them, the medical team, the healthcare uh, care professionals, the decision makers, the budget holders, like how much they have learned about disability inclusion when they went to college, when they went to university in their annual training uh, plans. And so that's the key. And I'll get jump, just jump right in and say, you know, they're probably getting very little of that training. And a lot of this probably stems back to man's drive to survive and become top of the food chain and the weak are expendable, right? So, you know, it's only been, you know, the, the disability movement's been going for, for decades, but it, to me, it seems like we're making progress and we're seeing more rapid progress as each year passes but it's still frustrating as hell to be doing these shows, you know, seven years later and telling people we need to educate. We need to make people aware. We still need to educate, you know, it, it is what it is, but at least there is some light. We are seeing change. So, you know, thanks to you and other organizations that are doing the advocacy work. Cause without that, we'd be back in caveman times, banging people with clubs. <laughs> It's interesting because if you think about it, you know, in certainly in our lifetime, COVID was sort of the first global yeah. sort of major crisis that happened on, on, a, on a rapid scale. And I always think back to that, that great Mike Tyson quote, um, who says, everybody always has a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> and I, it, that's kind of how I think of COVID is yeah. that, you know, we, we, we thought we kind of had a plan and, and had it all together, but when we got hit with with a global pandemic, everybody did sort of have knee, knee jerk reactions and just reacted. And and you know we hopefully learned a lot from this process, so that the next time we we face some of this stuff, maybe we will actually think of people with disabilities first before we run out and implement um, policy. Well. Um, I am positive, but I hope we don't, we don't get the chance to test that. Well, I was just going to say to Rob too, you know, we can use that quote to, you know, the mainstream public that, you know, wander around with their sight and their working limbs and able bodies. And, you know, they have a plan. Their plan is drive to survive, right? Make the best life they can until they're punched in the face and acquire a disability, invisible or otherwise. Right. So that quote True. applies to that too. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Plans change. <laughs> yes. Plans are being planned to be changed. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> There's a very interesting new um, trend, which is disability and climate change. So um, right now, everybody is talking about climate change, and we are also working to... Um, document the impact of climate change on persons with disabilities um, because that would be the next crisis. That's right. already the next crisis for humanity. Like look at this heat wave. Yep. Um, yes. Yeah, last year um, in Canada, for example, in British Columbia, there was a heat wave and my colleagues in Human Rights Watch 
did a re very interesting report on how persons with disabilities and older persons were mostly impacted by those heat waves. And the measures taken by the government of British Columbia was not sufficient, was not accessible for them. They couldn't go to cooling centers. They didn't have ACs in their apartments and they couldn't uh, access the help they wanted. Right. So right now we are more and more focusing on uh, climate change on how it impacts persons with disabilities how persons with disabilities must be included in climate change uh, climate action decisions because uh, some of the policies that are being placed um, uh, about climate change are not uh, considered are not are not taking persons with disabilities into consideration let me just give you one example. So, so we all know that, that we need to decarbonize. And one way of decarbonizing is to encourage people to use more and more um, public transportation systems and avoid using private transportation. But what when public transportation is not accessible? So we enhance the prices of um, um, fossil, uh, like fuel fossils mm -hmm. um, that for example, gas, we, we enhance the gas prices to encourage people not to use their private vehicles. But what if the, the um, public transportation system is not accessible? That means that the person with disability need to pay higher prices still because they cannot access the public transportation. So they need to consider these limitations. They need to consider building the public transportation accessible before uh, using um, enhanced gas prices as a decarbonizing policy, or they should consider remedies for persons with disabilities. That's just one example. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, and I hadn't really thought about climate change and, and the impact. And this is coming from, you know, Ryan and I are, we, we're in Vancouver, so we, we lived through that the heat dome, uh, yeah. the heat dome last year, and it was not pleasant. Let me tell you. Um, but you're absolutely right. Um, you know, they certainly diff different cities here um, set up cooling centers, but there was no. I I don't even know where if they had uh, a complete list of where they were online. Uh, how accessible that was, and you're absolutely right. Um, there, there could have been many people that uh, couldn't actually get to them, and you know, in these in in more and more cities that aren't set up for heat like that and don't have air conditioning or, or you know centralized air um, in in buildings, uh, it's going to be a real problem. Mm -hmm. um, and we're seeing it this year, certainly in yeah. in the UK, um, even more so because the UK not being used to heat like that. Um, of course, all of their buildings are built to trap heat in because, because of the climate. And so when you have a heat wave in, in, um, in, in countries like that, um, yeah, you, you, people have to either have some sort of an air conditioning or be able to get themselves to cooling centers. And just another layer upon what you're saying, Rob, is that the 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 excessive heat heat waves that we've all been experiencing is only one factor of climate change when we look at some of these um, these natural um, 
you know occurrences like like the flooding in Kentucky and you yeah, know, you know right. uh, flooding in other regions from you know snow melting off of mountaintops too prematurely than in in previous times. So it's really just that whole reactionary system of how do we protect the public. Um, in all of these different scenarios, because it is true that they're not they're they're re reacting in a way that uh, on these short term events that if these become more regular uh, occurrences, then I, I mean, we've had all these little instances where these lessons haven't really been learned yet, or if they have, they there hasn't been significant change. Well, yeah. and I think that's where governments have to just step up and say, it is going to cost us a trillion dollars. We need to spend the trillion dollars. We can't just be putting band-aids on all these things that are happening as they occur. You know, like you say, Liz, we need to plan for these things the best we can, be prepared, but it's going to cost. Yeah. I mean, you look at the the wildfires that yeah. then move into the, you know, uh, to these national parks and then yeah. coming into residential areas and it's just seems like every force of nature whether it be heat fire water rain wind um it, it's just it, it's it, i hate to say it i hope that this isn't really the new normal but it just might be if this is because i'm not a scientist and i didn't even try to pretend i i know anything about uh, what the progression could be but you still hear about there's no real plan um, on the table. No, nope, for... it's all reactionary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very limited uh, resources um, are allocated to disaster preparedness. Most, the very, very huge chunk is being dedicated to response. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then you don't need the very hard work to find out that how much of that is actually um, dedicated to preparing persons with disabilities for disasters. So we have the warning, early warning systems yep. in some countries, like for example, and then, you know, they send text messages <laughs> and they don't think that maybe a person cannot read the text message or they make a loudspeaker announcement, not mm -hmm. considering that a deaf person cannot hear that they need to right use an alternative formats um, of communicating and then they want to evacuate uh, we have uh, stories of evacuation that for example they come to evacuate a person with a civility they say oh your wheelchair is big and heavy we're going to take you without your wheelchair right it's like come somebody comes to rescue you and tell you oh we're not going to take your your legs because your legs are very big you know <laughs> That's, right. <laughs> That's as funny and as heartbreaking as it is. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doomed, is what you're saying. Oh. No, we're not. As, as a human race, I'm, we're stupid. We're I, doomed. I don't. I don't. I don't think that's what she said. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's what it's what Ryan. What Ryan okay, Flurry saying. Okay. So it's it's just not going to happen in our lifetime. So good luck, next generation. It's on you. <laughs> Fix it. <laughs> Oh, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how can uh, we end on a high note? Yeah, that's right. We need to. <laughs> that's right. Well, you're the, one, you're the one that brought us down. We're, we're doing okay. Let's talk about magic and unicorns or something. Um, Are you seeing more countries or more organizations becoming part of the 
Disability Alliance, and and are you are you hearing the conversation shift? Unfortunately, I think the world is not moving towards a positive direction in general. That being said, I really believe in the power of social media, and I think if there is a game changer in this world, that would be social media. So for example, we launched the We the 15 campaign, which means we are the 15% because the World Health Organization estimates that 15% of world population have some disability and live with some disability. So these kind of campaigns, uh, these activities may change the game and may uh, convey the message to the public. So, and including governments. At the same time, we really need, uh, I really believe that the only ultimate sustainable solution um, needs democracy. The right. more democracy and human rights in general, uh, all my minority rights, including disability rights, going to be observed. Um, strongly and more sustainably so yeah i don't know i can i am positive and a little <laughs> bit unhappy both of them <laughs> there are tears in my eyes and smile on, on my lips right so celebrate, it's, celebrate it's the unhappy, successes yeah but it's an unhappiness and anger and frustration that is the catalyst for change if we there were all go. happy you know we would just all be you know floating around just bumping into each other not giving a crap but that's what we need. You need a little fire in the belly. Yeah. When right. when I see like young generations uh, of disability advocates, like working on climate change, going and speaking with others, when I see how we are changing minds, uh, our members all over the world are doing the advocacy. I'm, I, uh, it's, you know, it's heartwarming. Yeah. But at the same time, the problem is growing very fast, you know? climate change, this COVID, the um, war that we have, mm -hmm. the refugee crisis, like, you know how many refugees with disabilities we have, um, and all the other things that are happening. So we are working hard, but the crisis is also growing fast. So let's see. That's right. And don't forget that Liz can't have dairy. Yeah, while we're, that's while a, we're, that while is we're a, things. yeah, that's our yeah. own AT banter crisis. S speaking of fire in the belly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, um, we want to thank you so much for, for taking some time out of your evening uh, to talk to us. And uh, thank you for all the work that you're doing. Um, you guys are literally um, out there fighting the good fight and helping change the world. So um, thank you on, on, in both cases. We try, we try, and I um, hope that all the people who listen to me today um, are taking one more step ahead uh, to advance disability rights. I'm sure there's one thing that at least every single human being in this world can do. So that's right. And by the way, not eating dairy is quite climate-friendly action. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's your yeah. body's uh, body's contribution in fighting climate change. So 
I, I had no idea how progressive my gut is. So, so does, that, like, does that become like carbon neutral if you're still eating beef but not drinking milk? <laughs> Uh, maybe I don't, I don't know well, we're gonna have to run a report on that I have, to, I have to say i love me some beef i do um, i had some ribeye last night nice okay your body your body has taken one step but still has lots of more steps to take that's, right. that's get exactly that what mind. i meant I'm a work in progress, so. Yeah, we all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for the lovely conversation. And uh, listen, come back anytime. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Have Elham. a great rest of your evenings. Thank you, you too, also. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know if I could give up cheese. Yeah, no. Not going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> cheese is too good. I mean, milk, I could, uh, everything else, I guess, I think I could. It's just losing cheese, man. But like that's brutal. But even milk, like I don't drink a, a lot of milk. Yeah, me neither. But occasionally, it's that nice cold milkshake that you're just like, oh, that's so good. Yeah, so, but you know what? Even that's but, not too bad because you can make a milkshake and not have milk in it, right? Because like yeah, you can use all the milk and other stuff. Too, make, but, well, no, McDonald's milkshakes, for example. I don't think I think you can. People who are lactose intolerant can can drink those because there's no actual milk in it. No, really? I'm sure there is a dairy product of some so, of some Probably. sort. I don't think so, man. There, well, I, let's I'm just say, sure. li listen, they're not advertising it as vegan. Let's just say that. Well, you mm, probably can't true. use the term. Well, do they even use the term milkshake or are they just called I mean, shakes? No, uh, that's a good point. I don't know. Huh. I, I'll, I'll tell you, though, in the short time that I've been delivered this bad news, now that I'm reading labels, you would you would be shocked at how much stuff has some sort of dairy product in it, oh, and it is sure. completely now off my radar. And I'm wow. I'm I'm yeah I'm a, I'm in mourning. I'm in mourning again. <laughs> well, even you think of like sugars, right? You know, people think of sugar, but if you look at your labels, not everybody thinks of sucrose, glucose, verbitose, dextrose. Those yes. are all types of sugar, right? If there's an so, oaks in it, yeah, you're yeah, pretty so much. Our food is full of crap. It's, but yeah. So with my dairy allergy now, uh, it's basically I can't eat any processed foods. Right. Because almost everything has dairy, has a dairy byproduct in it. Huh. Yeah. I even I bought a I I had to give away these um these cashew nuts from that I bought at Whole Foods which are their Thai curry flavored and they right. were so good. And like I said, I, I mean, I'm like, oh no, these should be good. And I just looked at the label and I said, oh crap, there is- Whey powder or something. There is dairy in this flavoring. Right. And Yeesh. I said, so yeah, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Even in the things that you would think that there shouldn't be any kind of dairy in it. I'm now I'm reading labels on, oh, listen, at this stage, I'm reading labels on salsa. <laughs> well, and you, you know, you have to kind of be careful what you eat no matter what it is, you know, our subway restaurants here, maybe it's in the U.S. as well, there's a lawsuit going on right now because their tuna, scientists have tested, contain oh. no tuna. Oh, that's disgusting. So oh if they've been advertising tuna subs and they say it's tuna, it ain't tuna. So what are we eating? I, I had heard that Subway was in some trouble because they put so much sugar in their bread Oh. that some i don't know where or some countries were saying that they would have to classify it as cake 
Oh, I think I heard that once. <laughs> yeah. Holy yeah, shit. That's disgusting. That's disgusting. That is <laughs> <Nice>. disgusting. <laughs> yeah. I like how we just immediately, like, uh, Rob's going to Subway went, for dinner. Went, I, love, <laughs> I love how we went straight to, like, Liz's, back to Liz's, uh, <laughs> Food allergy immediately. It's <laughs> fascinating. I think because you guys are, in, you're, you're just so shocked. It's going to be everything in moderation, right? Like your nuts aren't going to trigger your allergy, are they? I'm not having anything with dairy. I was told that I need to have take, take it out completely. Wow. Because it's an because then you're you you keep having the allergic reaction because you're not huh. removing it from your body. Well, good so. luck. It's been nice knowing you. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know if you find like fake bacon that tastes like bacon. No, I can have bacon. Well, read the read the ingredients. You can have bacon, Ryan. There's no milk can, in bacon. The flavoring in some of the bacon, you might want to check. No, if it's no, like I'm if fine. it's I can have you know meat. The only thing I I can't have sausage. Because <sighs> there's a there's a lot hmm. of so, but I can wow. I could have kosher hot dogs hmm. because then they, there can't be any dairy in there. My goodness. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But That's I mean, you know what? It's, Honestly, it's going to be an adjustment, but for sure. it's probably for the best in the long run because you're going to cut out a bunch of crap that's not good for you anyways. You'll probably feel a 10 times better. No more chocolate and, you know, bars. I know. that. Um, I Like I said, I'm... <laughs> Like think think of it. Think of everything. I know. I like, believe it, she Oreos. can have. I mean, I'm sure she can have like trace elements of it without having like a huge adverse reaction. I mean, no, it's not like no, she has to. No, what? I'm told. I, mean, I have to remove it all. All of it, oh, she said. Okay, well, yeah. yeah. Like, well, that's why yeah. I said goodbye. It's been nice knowing you. Because no, yeah. it should be fine. The substitutes just aren't eat the lettuce. same. Eat, eat lettuce. lettuce. <laughs> eat lots of lettuce and bacon. <laughs> And then, up, the, and then the crappy thing is like if I'm having salads, I have to. Th there's only certain salad dressings now. Anything yeah. creamy and delicious, like those are gone. Those are gone. It's all freaking what raspberry mm, vinaigrette that's for sad. me. That's so sad. Yeah. It yeah. Is. Wah, yeah. Wah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, our hearts go out to you. Thank you. Don't send me. Don't send me um, chocolate turtles at the holidays. We I were going to send you some BC cheddar, Armstrong cheddar. Guess oh. not. No. no. You can send no, me some steaks. <laughs> Alberta beef. Mm. Uh, okay. Anyways, we we're, okay. Let's talk about our guest for a second. We just we turned immediately back. To, it's like, what, what is this show about again? Um. Yeah. Well, I don't know. How are you guys feeling after that conversation? You feeling uh, optimistic or pessimistic or I don't know. What do you guys think? I think it's such a high level organization. I personally still don't have a full grasp on the work that they're doing. You know, I think we hear rumblings and, and see things on our local levels, but even nationally, there's stuff happening that we aren't necessarily privy to. And then you take it globally. It's just, we just don't know, right? We don't know what they're doing, what, who they're talking to, what changes are being made. It's just such a, a different scope of advocacy that I would say a lot of us aren't familiar with. Yeah, so. I mean, that's a, that's a really good point. Uh, I mean, you know, we're, you know, when you're on the ground level advocating, it can be hard to really wrap your mind around what's going on at the higher levels. But that higher level work is incredibly important, sure. especially when you consider um, the number of organizations that are that are members of of the alliance and um you know just 
the sheer number of people who are working towards um, a singular goal, yeah. you, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta have that, that as well as everybody that's putting in the time here on the ground that's advocating at their local levels. It's all got to sort of work together. And I think that that can be some of the challenge behind it is you've got so many moving parts to um, an organization that's trying to do so much for so many people. Um, I'm sure that that can be challenging, but you know, it, it certainly needs to happen. And I'm, I'm heartened to hear that they've, um, you know, they're, they're making progress and that so many different countries around the world have uh, have ratified the convention um, with the exception of uh, of Liz and her country. So that's weird. Well, but like that, Liz, like LM said, though, that's due down to constitutional law and the constitution itself. And I'll reach out to people as well. But, you know, the Americans and their it's my right to do ABC. So. Why do you hate people with disabilities, Liz? <laughs> she is one. I love to hate you, myself. You can be self-loathing. <laughs> That's true. Well, I, no, I think my, I my takeaway from this conversation is that it really takes so many uh, organizations from top to bottom to make, to, to make change. And I'm not saying we're anywhere near where we need to be. But I think that it is somewhat comforting to know that there are organizations that are talking to the people that we are not even thinking of, that we could never uh, even dream of accessing, but that it's happening on all on all levels. But yeah, um, no. So I, I mean, I'm grateful for organizations like that. But you know, I mean, and I I love that at the end, Elham said that. No, I'm not happy with where we are. I don't think that there's enough change. And you know, you need those people to kind of to, to be not happy with where we are as opposed to just like, well, you know, at the end of the day, we're just, you know, we're going through the motions. We're talking to the people at the UN. We're doing what we're supposed to do. But, yet, you know, that that there is dissatisfaction um, at that level, too. And that so that, you know, like I said, I think it fires your pistons more. Well, and I think, too, you know, one of the things I took away also was that, you know, we know a lot of our organizations don't always agree on everything. And I'm sure a lot of these countries don't necessarily agree on everything. But the thing they do agree on is the importance of the persons of disabilities and their rights to equal access and inclusion in society. So, see, I'm positive. See, there you go. Yeah. Look at you. I don't know. I you know what? You are the glitter in Spangles this week. Well, thanks. Where's, where's my damn song? Yeah, true. Songwriting's yeah. hard. You know, he gives me crap about when's when's your next uh, breaking dishes coming out. I'm like, where, when's where's my damn song? That's true, actually. Right? <laughs> She's got you on that one. All right. All right. There's going to be some sort of song next week. <laughs> There All right, know. maybe I'll, I'll work on a breaking dishes. Work, uh, <laughs> make sure you work in mozzarella cheese and explosive diarrhea into the song somewhere too. <laughs> now that's just me, Rob. Rob, see, Rob always takes it too far. <laughs> it's kind of my thing. Uh, that's my role in the podcast. Just take things a step too far, and then have to step it back. <laughs> 
guess that's it. Um, hey, Liz. Uh, yeah, Rob. Where can people find us? Uh, we are always found at atbanter.com. Uh, and they can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell at uh, atbanter.com, especially if there's any of our listeners out there uh, are lactose intolerant and have gone through uh, or some dairy, dietary changes. Or have a dairy allergy. Or have a dairy. I'm sorry. I guess it's not the same thing, right? It's not no. the same thing I'm See, learning. I didn't even know. See, I'm, I need to be educated in, in different spheres as well. Send all your uh, recipes and food suggestions to cowbell at atbanter.com and we'll pass them along to Liz. Send me gi- I need gift cards to Whole Foods because it's very expensive <laughs> not eating processed food. Yes, eating healthy is. really is a nightmare with that. So, yep. yeah. Food, taking, um, you know, pantry contributions for sure. So. All right. Well, they can also find us on Facebook and Twitter and wherever you listen to your podcast. That's right. You know, what scared me, uh, a comment in there was the fact that um, Ellen was was heartened by um, social media. I feel like that is actually the downfall of civilization, not our savior. So uh, I don't know about that. The metaverse, uh, I don't think the metaverse is going to save us. What, two sides of the same coin? Maybe. Whoa. Maybe. Maybe. Also, who knew mind. that that uh, Mike Tyson quote got so much mileage? I feel like we could really apply that quote to to many things in life. Sure. You know, who knew that Mike, Mike Tyson was like the Socrates of our generation? You <laughs> should get him on this show and ask him about it. Let me tell you, Ryan, everybody has a plan until someone punches you in the face. <laughs> it, sounds like the same, it sounds like the kid. That's right. I only have one in the you got one voice. <laughs> I mean, it's either Mike Tyson, either Mike Tyson or a 10-year-old. Well, That's we should it. do it. We should, we, should, we should have you read cards. But like, okay, was that Mike Tyson or the kid at Comic-Con? Hmm. Right. There you go. It's a great idea. <laughs> I'll do that for the next anniversary show. I'll set up a game. All right. Uh, hey, are we done? Did We're we do done. everything? Yeah, that's uh, going to about do it. All right. Well, yes. In fact, that is going to about do it for us this week. Uh, big thanks, of course, for everybody for listening in. And we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com.